Any man who tries to do good all the time will come to the ruin at the hands of those men who are no good. Outwardly, you must seem to respect the niceties, but inwardly, unless you are a fool, you learn quickly to be prudent and learn to do as Napoleon advised, place your iron hand inside a velvet glove. Master the arts of indirection, learning to seduce, charm, deceive and subtly outmaneuver your opponents and then you will gain the heights of power. To some people, the notion of consciously playing power games seems evil, asocial and a relic of the past. They believe they can opt out of the game, behaving in ways that have nothing to do with power. You must beware of such people, for whilst they express such opinions outwardly, they are often the most adept players at power. Instead, learn to make people bend to your will without them being able to realise what you have done. And if they do not realise what you have done, they will neither resent you or resist you. These are the words of Robert Greene in the book, The 48 Laws of Power. Hello there, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. We've got my good friends, Sam Harris and myself, Nico Vereke, your hosts today. And Sam and I have just finished reading the book, The 48 Laws of Power, written, authored by Robert Greene. It is quite a controversial book. If you go to Goodreads, you'll see that pretty much half of the reviews have one star and the other half has five stars. The book describes 48 ways in which you can understand, grasp, and use the power dynamics that we have in real life to your advantage. And if I read this, if I listen to this, to me, this book, and I immediately want to get your thoughts on this, because we haven't discussed this yet, is almost the opposite of a book like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Do you agree? Definitely. It seems to be the opposite of kindness and accruing people's belief in you through being nice. <laughs> it's just like lie, cheat. <laughs> if you want to have lots of power, build a cult. <laughs> yes, it's like never be true, never be completely honest, never be completely yourself. Always keep yourself under control. Like everything that you do has an impact and think about how to maximize that impact to your advantage, essentially humans and others are being treated as pawns in your game to get more power. I can understand why it's a very controversial book. So I would suggest this podcast, Sam and I, we can discuss first, we'll talk about a few laws that stood out to us. Maybe then we can talk about laws we didn't like or general takes that we have, like negative takes on a book. And then we can have a final conversation about just how we think this book makes sense, why we think it's so divisive. So Sam, perhaps you can start with say, what was your favorite law or one of your favorite laws of power? Well, <laughs> there was quite a few that I thought were actually really on point as far as like just good lessons in general. So uh, law four, always say less than necessary. I do think actually there's plenty of reasons why sometimes you do need to speak a lot. But in general, actions I think are more important and people often just end up saying something wrong or can say things that get misinterpreted and you just end up like causing yourself more problems by like, over explaining your point and did have some nice examples of people that sort of maybe could have had a lot more power if they showed up a little bit more and just let their actions speak for themselves i definitely see people that kind of really want power and just think that if they just talk more that would be the, the solution so i felt like it was a useful one to reflect on for people but maybe it's just because if i didn't use to speak as much but i mean i spent half my life trying to speak more because i didn't speak at all when i was young 
So I don't know, already like, conflicted myself completely on the first one. That one was that I put it on my list of the ones I liked. And then we had decided that we would pick two, one, two laws that we liked. And then it was the third. And so that's why I removed it. It's an interesting one. I think I have the tendency to speak too much and want to say too much. I often notice, so I do another podcast as well, and I notice that I ask my question to my guest or I make my point and then I say more stuff. And and then I'm like, fuck, I'm saying more stuff. I don't need to say more stuff. Why am I saying more stuff? And so, yeah, it's definitely one thing that I, I need to learn and be more mindful of just to shut up when I'm done. I'll often like ask a question sometimes and then I'll sort of give like a bunch of different possible kind of answers for them to start choosing from. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> this is no longer an open-ended question. I'm now turning it into like an either or question and I'm still talking. I mean, one, I guess it gives them some more time to think of the answer, which isn't terrible, but it's fine to just shut up. And also makes me sort of seem maybe a bit opinionated of like, oh, I already think I know what the answer is if I'm giving you two options and stuff. But one of his laws of power, which I wasn't so keen on, was framing the possible questions for someone. So like giving people two choices, but they're your choices. So you're treating them as a poor one where they can only do things. And I was like, actually, when people do that to me, if those are the only options, I will always be like, actually, I want to do this. Like, I don't see that working at all. And it's just sort of kind of manipulative when people notice it. So I didn't think it was that useful. But one I did like that I thought actually was something that I hadn't really thought of before when it comes to like major levels of power at like a political level was preaching the need for change, but never reforming too much at once. If you do have a position of power as an outsider, when you try and take too much or change things too much, it can cause like cultural problems within a company or like political thing and so too much change will engender a revolt to introduce change make it seem like a gradual and gentle improvement on the past and i thought that was actually like a really good point as like an entrepreneur that like might see a problem i just want to go in and rip things up but actually <laughs> making people be like, oh you've done this so well the way you built this company and like this is how we're going to make it better slowly is like a much nicer thing than being like you guys are idiots i know exactly what to do and i thought that was a good been there as well i've tried to instill new habits on teams and try to change too much at once. And because of that, too much change doesn't work. And then you essentially revert back to the way things work because mm. that's comfortable. And so if you really want change, especially in large organizations, you have to do it slowly and not all at once. To just come back to the previous point about not saying too much, I think there's a balance to be found between not saying too much, but also being the person that still has like a valuable opinion, but yeah. just having this situation where people are just waiting for you to just say your thing because they respect it versus never seeing anything and people just forgetting that you have an opinion. And so this is a law to be combined with other laws, you know, make sure that people trust what you have to say and then make sure that you say a little bit every time. Yeah. And so I think if you apply it, that'd be the way to go. I mean, you can look at like, I don't know, Lionel Messi, he doesn't speak that much at all, but people are like, wow, he is also the best football player in the world at the same time. So it kind of makes it cool. And to accrue that sort of respect, you have to actually have good actions for people to really want to listen to your words. If you just sit around saying nothing, people think you may be just a bit stupid and you don't know how, how to catch on, which is an issue that I had when I was young, for example. One thing we haven't mentioned yet, I should probably do that, and we probably should have started with that, let's be honest, is how the book is structured. As in, every law is a brief description of the law, but the majority of the book is actually historic examples of applications of the law or misapplications of the law to basically make the point. And what I also like is that the book also has examples of this is where you shouldn't use it and situations where you shouldn't use it or where this law doesn't really apply to have the exception makes a rule situation. And so I walk away from the book 
just knowing more about history, just knowing more about certain figures that keep coming back. Like, um, I forgot his name, but Napoleon's minister, first minister or something. Yeah, he, Talleyrand. Like, he was one of Talleyrand. them. Talleyrand. Yeah. Talleyrand. Man, that dude, in half of the laws, he's like, oh yeah, a great example of this is Talleyrand. <laughs> yeah, so much. <laughs> I feel like that could have just been like three chapters dedicated to just them in one go and then... Yeah, it was really interesting. I felt like I learned a lot of stuff that happened over time. His final law actually... Assume formlessness. Yeah, was kind of, kind of great, but also kind of annoying. It basically was like, do the right thing at the right time and then it'll be correct but like don't do the wrong thing <laughs> and you're like well accept anything and everything but everything always changes embody this truth because of you can be fluid as water to protect yourself from the ever shifting nature of reality refusing to adapt and to change you'll fail to evolve so yeah he's basically saying that like there'll be something that you can do for power but like it might be one of those laws but it might not be because you might like do it wrong in the same way as in if you teach each law, it's like saying like one law is like just punch someone in the face, but like actually it might not be the right time to punch someone in the face or someone might like actually dodge your punch and punch you back if you do it wrong. The point is you kind of just need to practice all of these things and you need to know exactly when to do them versus not. If you just read it bluntly as it is, it's not that useful. It's better to just start doing things and trying to get people to like you and <laughs> learn as you go, I think, than trying to do each different one. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of completely correct saying the issue formlessness, but it was also like a really annoying point that it basically means like, nothing might actually be right at all and you're really on your own here <laughs> i think this to me is a comment or an observation i have with many parts of the book where as you rightly mentioned it says like when you know that a person is a weak person or when you know the weakness of a person use it against them and so it often assumes that you understand way more like you have like a shit ton of context in every situation and yeah. understand what people want what people Definitely. like that made it for me at least difficult to like really think about applying that in my life and in my environment yeah. just because maybe i'm just bad at recognizing patterns and these things my other major bug bear well i have many major bug bears but all the examples are basically either you're a con man or you're in a court of law where you already have mm. some form of power you're not just like the average normal person it's like <laughs> i have neither of these people <laughs> do i need any of these laws right now <laughs> because of I'm not going out to con people and I'm not actually in the middle of a, a court of power. So yes, fully agree. Actually, this ties into a point I want to make, like a general observation and one thing that I didn't like, but before we were going to get there, we were doing the ones that we did. Yeah, like, yeah. Right. So I, I still have two. One of them is so much depends on reputation. Guard it with your life, which is law five. Reputation is everything. And this is probably like the only touching point between this book and a book like how to win friends and influence people, which is your reputation is everything and you should do everything to preserve it and never do anything that could tarnish it. So this is something that I've carried with me in my career. Like I will make sure that I avoid at all costs to do anything that could tarnish my reputations because that's everything I have in this world. And I think the problem with the this law in this book is that he's kind of saying like, lie about everything so well that people have no idea that you're a dick. Um, mm. and you'll maintain your reputation as opposed to be such a bloody lovely person all the time that you'll have a good reputation, which is like how to win friends and influence people or the go-giver and stuff, which is preferable, I think, personally. But yes, the actual law, yes, it's really super good. I am totally agreed with the concept of it. What's your last law that you like? The last one I had was 47, actually. Don't go past the mark you aim for in victory, learn when to stop, which... 
it's actually a little bit similar to my last to the need for change but not doing too much i think it's just really important to understand what is the goal of your actions and like where is the line of happiness and where are you just going into greed and malevolence and becoming more of a dick and not making yourself happy or successful so that was like yeah this is a good one i like that one as well although there's one law that is crush your enemies yeah which is i didn't like that one (laughs) so completely Mm. and i also just found it really irrelevant because it's like yeah it's not like i'm not trying to crush my enemies and things and it's just been a bit odd sometimes if you look at after the first world war when germany was crushed it was crushed pretty completely too much so to the point where like that's kind of what caused the second world war now Mm. you could say they could have gone even further and completely eradicated the concept of germany (laughs) but who knows if that would have really stopped other problems from happening but they went too far and took too much Mm -hmm. and created an unmanageable debt and situation to the point where fascism rose hitler rose and we had the second world war yeah so good points it's interesting because there was a world where Germany wouldn't exist after World War One, which is a completely crush your enemies mm. and like Denmark, France, Belgium, the Netherlands and Poland and Austria would have gotten a part of it. And so there would be no Germany anymore. You know, there's a world where that happens, but I agree that there's some history that points that, you know, don't go too far as well. My final law that I liked is number 46, which is never appear too perfect. I had this imposter syndrome growing up and so i was always like overselling myself in a way and always trying to look or be better than i actually was and i started to notice that actually that doesn't come across very well and people don't like people that keep bragging about themselves and so i i started making just more fun about myself and laughing with all of my many many shortcomings and that's helped me so much in just making friends and having people to like me and so now i try to whenever i can just make fun of myself and put me down. Like I consider myself a decent human being. And so I don't have a problem with just making fun of myself. This is one that I, I didn't really learn here, but I found that it's a really, really important one to learn. It's one that I used that actually changed quite a lot for me. Definitely a really good one around um, people just have slight issues with people that like to seem too good. I mean, Elon Musk gets more hate than he probably needs, even though he actually he does make lots of mistakes just from people being like oh he's done too successful it's like annoys people kind of thing when people don't have like a few problems they just don't seem like so human or trustable and you feel like there's something wrong whereas if you do just give people like a i've done all these things well but like i'm still have some problems like it just makes it easier to like feel open and accept being vulnerable around you on the one side it can be nice to just accept a compliment without being like oh it was nothing or like down paying yourself sometimes because sometimes it actually can be almost derogatory when you're like oh it was easy or like it wasn't because of it might actually be super difficult for someone and you it's sometimes can be better to just say thank you uh, and be like i do look good today or i did do well here but without like bragging about it just being like thank you so much for saying that kind of thing when people tell me they like our podcast i tell them thanks man i really appreciate that always it's just nice. rather than being like, oh, we make it all up as we go along. We're total idiots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is true, but we don't say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. So I have two laws that I didn't really like, but I first wanted to get your thoughts on my observation that it feels to me that this book is written about, as you mentioned, one for con artists 
and two for courtiers mm -hmm. in the courts. And to me, I think what's interesting about those situations and general life and generally other situations is whether they're zero-sum or positive-sum. And so to me, Naval has this great quote, which is, if you want to choose or if you think about what you want to do with your life, make sure you're playing positive-sum games and not zero-sum games. Yeah. And some of the examples that he has when it comes to zero-sum games is politics, it is academia, it is probably very large corporations as well, institutions. And and so the definition of a zero-sum game is essentially that if one side wins, the other one loses. Yeah. And so in the court, if you are winning, that means that someone else is losing because there's only that many people that can be close to the king. There's only that much political power or influence to go around. Mm. And so in a court, there's essentially the moment you're winning, someone else is losing. I feel like these laws apply to places that are zero-sum. And so that is opposed to other more positive-sum games. And so for me, entrepreneurship is a positive-sum game. It is something where, you know, the success of one party, the success of one company doesn't have an effect on success of another company. And if the, that company does very well, it actually, it's a tie that rises all the ships. And so it's something that we call a positive-sum game, which is, by the way, why I am now an early-stage investor. It's because I want to be playing positive sum games where I don't have to be envious of someone else's success because that means that I have less success. Anyway, so that is my more meta observation about this book and, and where it is apl applicable. And perhaps the reason why it is divisive is because, you know, people that are actually playing these zero-sum games love it because it's super useful. And maybe people that are not playing these zero-sum games don't love it. I think. Definitely. Right. On like the finite and infinite games, it's definitely more like a finite playing field. How can you take things from others? instead of making more stuff yourself and there's so much about it is very like mlm multi-level marketing scam type culty things and like how to take stuff from others because there's never going to be like a good product that actually keeps on growing and creating more value it's just like how to get value from others which is super stupid i can't remember if it was this book or something else that i've read recently about some guy that got scammed by like this scamming group and then like he Full on, like, um, you know, the movie Taken, where the guy just goes and tries and kills everybody to do with the person that's taken his daughter. Like, this guy genuinely, like, spent his whole life. Oh, yeah, it was in this book. He spent his yeah, whole life, like, book, chasing yeah. these things down, kills all of them slowly, but, like, bankrupts himself and ruins his own family in mm -hmm. the process. But it was just still, like, maybe scabbing people isn't such a good idea. And also, maybe getting so irrationally angry that you ruin yourself in the process to get other people back is a bit too much. But I don't think anybody won that. That was like, this game destructed itself. Like, totally agree. It almost felt like this book talks about singular games, which is, you know, singular interactions, mm. as it is with, like, for example, scamming. Like, or if you're a con man, like, you deal with one person and then you move to another state or another country and then you do it again because, like, you're not able to be a con man in, in one place because you will have a reputation. And so I feel like, especially if you live in a small society, or in a smaller group, it feels like this book, and you have repeated interactions with the same people, it kind of feels like, to me at least, that this book is becomes less useful. There's just no room for error. Because by definition, if you're applying the principles of this book, you're doing unmoral things, yeah. unethical things. I think these could blow up in your face very badly. I've got a perfect example here, right? The one with the con artist that cons Al Capone out of a few thousand dollars, where he goes to Al Capone and he asks for $50,000, and he says he's going to double his money, and he's also... Well, he'll quadruple his money, so he'll make double and Al Capone will get double in a month's time. And he takes Al Capone's $50,000. He does nothing with it for 30 days and he comes back and he gives Al Capone exactly $50,000 and he apologizes. 
oh, it didn't go to plan. We couldn't do this. Like, but here is your money back to the cent. And Al Capone is now owed 100,000 and he only gets 50,000. But apparently Al Capone like has never trusted anyone. And someone's actually been says like give him legitimate reason to the problem and he trusts this guy and he gives this con artist like a few thousand dollars because he hasn't got any other money just because he becomes trustable and so the story is being like deceive people by making them trust you but i'm like if you go to a loan shark and you're going to give them twice as much money back in a month and you don't come back with twice as much money and you give them back what they gave you after a month you're going to get like your house your hand cut off your house repossessed or don't do this example this is a terrible example like most of these examples would blow up in your face like that if you tried it and it yeah didn't make sense even though it might have happened to work for someone that was a really good con artist listening to this book it just appeared to me and i i don't know exactly how to describe this but it felt to me like the way the book thinks about people and how they are is very, very much fixed mindset and not growth mindset and very much like status. And it talks a lot about, oh, that is a very generous man. And it just felt to me like it was ancient. It, it felt to me like it was written in like the 1930s where the way people thought about people in general was very archaic, very old and very like, oh, you are from this you know, part of society. And this means that th you are, you know, this, 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 and that. And it's all like very defined and it's like men and women and, and women have to be pretty and charismatic and be good at dancing. And it describes all these things. The whole book is like that, by the way. So I read this book. I, I didn't know when it was written. I was listening to it and I was like, ah, this book, I think it's written in like the 1950s because that was like the vibe. Like if you watch a movie or if you read a book from the 1950s, you can feel that the way they describe people and like social interactions and hierarchies is very rigid. And today, like there's no way we would talk or think about it that way. But then I saw that the book is actually published in 1998. It's very pre-social media, <laughs> regardless. Mm. You know what it reminded me of? My grandma. How my grandma talks about like people, you know, she has like... My grandma, like, she can be extremely racist, she can be extremely sexist, and she's, like, almost 90. And so, you know, we forgive her. But, you know, her thinking about certain subjects and how people are, like, for example, my grandma, she doesn't like the Dutch at all. And so, you know, the moment she knows that someone's Dutch, she's going to think, like, a bunch of things about that person. And I felt like I got the same vibe from this book. One, I agree with that. And secondly, it reminded me of my own grandma, who wasn't racist but she'd say racist things that you can't say anymore like just talk about people who are black as blackface mm. kids and stuff you're like no yeah, yeah, yeah. just just say it differently <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so as we're talking a bit abstractly so there's two areas i thought one was the general deceptiveness multi-level marketing scammy cult thing that there was quite a few laws specifically that i just sort of referenced and another one was like just playing on people and like there's a lack of concept of like neurodiversity and actually like people having problems and being nice to them from the culty area and just deception 26 so keep your hands clean just implying that you have to do lots of mean things but just find someone else to do them for you so you never get caught it's just like how to be like a mafia or something but actually not it was very much like how to be a dictator rather or like how Andrew Tate could sort of do bad things but never have any problems himself or number 27 which is literally create a cult-like following by playing onto people's needs to believe it was just all about like keep your words vague and simple but full of promise emphasize enthusiasm rather than the intellectual or need for rationality 
Structure your group in accordance to the forms of an organized religion. Disguise your sources of income. Create an us versus them dynamic. It's just like, really? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> this is. But he, he talks about how this happens. So it's really interesting to read the book to think about the cults that you see and the problems and stuff. So mm. I like the book from the history of like actually understanding what's going on in the world. And so we've just read the Ray Dalio book around like economic cycles. It goes to about 500 years ago. And if you look around like Europe, pre 500 years in history, like basically we're all just a bunch of cults before then. And so it definitely has a lot of interesting thoughts around how power worked across the history of humanity, but it's not necessarily the best way to implement it today like that sort of law. And then number 32 being play into people's fantasies. And again, trying to just enchant people with ideas and tapping into like ways of making them believe in themselves. Part of it is if you're going to follow Elon Musk, you kind of believe in the fantasy of getting to Mars and stuff, which is kind of nice, but also can be used really badly when you just sort of try and make people like believe stuff wrongly, which is what cults do, which is like, you're going to be a millionaire by doing nothing or like people where you just, and like paying five grand for some advice that's never going to make you rich kind of stuff. It's just mm-hmm. treating people badly. So for some more specific examples, rather than just saying the book's kind of bad, those were some ones that I thought were bad specifically for those mm-hmm. reasons. So question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe the top 10 most influential people on this planet have used a lot of these laws to get like do they need to use these rules to get where they are some of them (laughs) yes some of the good ones that we've spoken about like the laws that we liked i think people have sort of used them but then if you think of like trump he certainly has done some of like the bad things or if you look at like dictators in the world i feel like they have done quite a few of these things or like al capone definitely or like the major drug laws that managed to just keep other people in the blame for any of their actions for example so they couldn't be sent to prison or this kind of stuff like people have accrued power through these things i'm not sure who the most 10 most powerful people are today it's it's confusing when you look at the 10 most powerful people because like the guy that runs wikipedia is apparently one of the most influential people on the planet but i'm like he actually has no influence in that like he's already decided how wikipedia works at which point wikipedia does its thing because of they're very free of like how information should be like policed and he's not actually like trying to sway people in any direction Mm -hmm. he's trying to like make things nicer so i'm not sure how powerful he is exactly in that sense i would say he's influential Um, rather than yeah yeah so maybe i shouldn't be mentioning that at all so i mean trump is still pretty powerful in terms of still causes stuff to happen for example like putin yeah but i mean i think obama didn't have any problems with being sent to prison after he finished his presidential election and he got elected Mm. twice and he didn't do most of these things. (laughs) Although I don't think you become the president of the most powerful country in the world without being manipulative. And maybe this is just TV, but if you watch House of Cards, it is literally this book applied. Maybe not to that extreme because it's pretty extreme because the guy actually literally kills someone. But I think it shows that politics in any country has a lot of these power games and as we said in earlier is a zero-sum game i would say that on one hand you have politicians and maybe people at the top of corporations and on the other hand i think you have entrepreneurs but another great example to me is warren buffett Mm. like warren buffett he might not be in the top 10 of most influential people but he's probably in the top 100s in the world 
I mean, you can say something and that yeah. can like get, have a major impact. The point I was getting at is Warren Buffett to me is the living example of someone who applies how to win friends and influence people rather than 48 laws of power. And he is the type of person that I aspire to be versus the one that lies his or her way to the top of, of an organization, whether it's a government or, um, or just a, like an institution. Totally agree. I think this definitely would go well with books like the dictator's handbook or something for people that like want to be manipulative and authoritarian or something. Yeah. I definitely think that there are other ways of finding power that this doesn't necessarily help you with. But I do think it's an interesting book to see what some people do and learn mm-hmm. about history and recognize it and recognize that like some of the things like still do give you a form of power, even if it maybe doesn't last or needs like different ways of protecting it that aren't that ethical to help you understand other people. So there's quite a few laws that I thought were very manipulative around people's emotions that were quite interesting for yourself so that you don't get manipulated whether you're going to use them aggressively against others just as a form of defense this is good just because if you might be in politics with people who are very narcissistic or manipulative towards you so it's kind of interesting to sort of learn from so i think some of them were kind of good in that sense although kind of disgusting and like a chance for actual kindness or like to help others as opposed to exploit but the 133 discover each man's thumb screw so any like insecurity untamed emotion desire secret pleasures like look for them and try to exploit them which you see politicians doing when they, they find like dirty secrets from them from like a years ago and they'll like release them at the perfect time before a vote and stuff but if someone was to behave like a child it might indicate an unresolved trauma in childhood and that's something you should be able to use or like maybe there's some over traits that they have could be concealing something else that they haven't got so arrogance might be hiding some insecurities do they have any weak links and is there someone behind them scenes controlling their behavior do they find ways to fill the voids of their insecurities or unhappiness to like wield power? And can you find ways to encourage any of their uncontrollable emotions? Like all of those things are like not that cool to be looking for though. But I guess like if you are playing in the world of power, you might want to be noticing them, but in ways to like help people and to realize that you're doing yourself. And then 39, which is stir up waters to catch fish. is all about the concept of staying calm yourself whilst infuriating your opponents so you can gain advantages. So finding anything that does make them angry and just making them look stupid in others. So he talks about, I think it was Tolly Rond that like makes Napoleon get like completely angry and make him look stupid as he's starting to lose power. And Tolly Rond just sits there and is like super calm and like, oh, well, whatever. He has like quite a few examples of just making people more and more angry and making them like ridiculous toddlers and tantrums. And these people maybe have some like problems and you could probably help them and stuff and i think a lot some people that do like go towards power maybe do have some anger issues and stuff which actually if they're they're a dick and shouldn't be achieving power like you maybe do want to use this as a skill but in the most part you maybe could help them be more reasoned and level-headed and teach them to be kind to people and see sense rather than trying to blind them from truth and infuriate them and for yourself you can definitely learn to not get angry when you don't need to, which is a nice thing to learn, for example. Mm-hmm. So good. Some, some annoying things there. And then did you, I don't know what you thought about the law number 10, like infection, avoiding the unhappy and the unlucky. Because there are some people that have the emotional states that can just be infectious like disease. And some unfortunate individuals will bring their own misfortune upon themselves and can bring you down too if you get too close. Therefore, make sure you only associate with the happy and the fortunate, which sounds a bit elitist and not very nice. And he just talks about these like uncurably happy people as victims. 
there's some thoughts around like actually spending time with people that like bring you up and help you and like i totally agree with that yeah i found this one like a bit confusing so whether like, mm. you should actually spend time like trying to help people because sometimes people are just like maybe a bit depressed or like have a bit of a disorder but they're not incurable or if it is like part of self-protection to only spend sure you have like the best people around you all the time there's one word in there that i find kind of interesting and in, which is spend time around the fortunate mm. and avoid the unfortunate and it's interesting because this again to me screams almost like this ancient archaic view of other oh, people that are by definition just fortunate and others that are unfortunate and some of these inherent traits or things that are linked to the personality of people in some way that I don't think are. Although if you think about a lot of what Taleb says, which is the world is so complex that we can't fully understand everything that has an impact on the outcome. And so if there are people in your life that just repeatedly tend to be unlucky and misfortunate, then maybe there are just some things you don't understand about who they are or what they do. And you should take your lessons from that. So that is just a, a sealman argument from that. I don't think it's necessarily immoral to not spend time with people that are unhappy. Unless obviously like if, if your family member's unhappy, then I think I feel like it's your moral duty to spend time with them and see if, if there's anything you can do. But I think there's this natural draw for people to hang out with people that are almost like inferior or just like people that are not as smart or not as successful just because it makes you feel better than yourself. And I think it's for your ultimate success. Like it's better to surround yourself with people that are better than you that you can learn from that you can look up to. So yeah, I do generally agree with that. And I also do generally agree that if you don't have a moral obligation towards somebody and someone is just constantly like unhappy and complaining, like I dislike these types of people and I, I do tend to not spend time with them. Maybe let's start wrapping this up. What's your like general take on this? And let's give it a rating of, out of 10 on the book. The book as it's meant, I don't like. <laughs> but to actually read the book with some perspective and have a conversation with it and to learn about the world, I do like. And some examples and stuff I found made it quite readable. I found in the middle it got a little bit long and I started to feel like I, there was too many examples of things that were sort of conflicting themselves of getting power in courts and stuff and as it got to like number 13 I started talking a lot more about anger and emotions and things I started to get more interested again so it was a bit long so overall I think I'm going to give it like a six okay so first of all you mentioned this but the book is really long it's 25 hours maybe more of 24 25 something like that and so it's a really really long book as you mentioned I think I morally and ethically kind of disagree with the book I think it could be useful but I think it's more useful for people that are playing zero-sum games. And so I generally think that we should be playing fewer zero-sum games in life in general. I like the fact that it had a bunch of examples. I like the fact that I walk away knowing more about a bunch of historical figures. I like the fact that it makes some good points. I think one of the, on the foundational points that is not necessarily one law, but is sort of, you know, red thread through the book is control your emotions yeah, yeah. and be more mindful about your decisions. And I think that is generally, like, honestly, like, that is another one of these rules that is, it's always true. It's always good to control your emotions, think about how you react. That is a fundamental principle of, you know, our, uh, Buddhism as well. Yeah, and yeah. Meditation as well is just understand, like, what's going on inside of your head. Yeah, be and so I, I like that. But what I don't like is then, like, don't care about the moral implications of what you're doing and what you decide to do when you actually take an action or make a decision. I'll give this book a four because I think that it's so long. There's so many good books out there. I would 
recommend anyone to read How to Win Friends and Influence People over this. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't recommend people to read this unless they have a lot of time for like philosophy and history and are interested in like sort of dictators and cults and learning about those things. It feels like it's more written for sort of young men that are really power hungry and don't think more logically about stuff or for people that genuinely want to be dictators or something. It's not really written (laughs) (laughs) for um, you have to actually achieve sustainable power or be a nice person. And like, like you said, definitely makes lots of good points about being responsible for your own emotions. But then like it also wants you to like take control and manipulate other people's emotions as opposed to help other people with their own lives. Final question for you. Because you mentioned a word that I think is relevant, and that's happiness. What do you think is the correlation between power and happiness? If you have too much power, I don't think those people are that happy because you are under a lot of scrutiny. You get judged, and you isn't just the amount of people that got killed for being in power in the story, for example, and stuff. In some ways, it seems really like unhappy as a place to be, depending on why you have the power. I think if you have no power at all as like a slave, like again. I think that's the problem. And I think it's hard to feel a sense of ownership for your life or responsibility without any power. But you can work well within like the confines if you are able to make choices that are the ones that matter to you. So if you still feel like you're working towards a goal where like you've actually been told what the goal is, but you're still able to work out how to get there and like make friends and do things with sort of certain freedoms, then you can be very happy. I asked a question because I didn't have an answer myself. But you mentioned something interesting, right? People with extreme power also have extreme responsibility. I would say for most people, not a recipe for happiness. Yeah. Obviously, as you mentioned, slaves that have zero power are also, on average, unhappy. But I think it's interesting there because I think there's how much power you have and then there's how much power other people have over you. In a slave situation, they have no power and someone has almost absolute power over them. But if I compare that to someone that lives very remotely, takes care of him or herself, has like this job where they're obviously dependent on others, that just sustains them and mm. allows them to enjoy their weekends, take a holiday every year and build towards retirement and then spend the rest of their days chilling. I feel like that's probably on average a better recipe for happiness than the maximizing your power in life in general. Yeah, definitely. It depends on how you use it and how you and what it's for. As in like Putin's definitely got himself into like a bit of a hole around like his powers. Whereas like Elon Musk is one of the most powerful men in the world, but he doesn't have to carry on doing what he's doing if he doesn't want to and he's not going to get killed sure he's got investors that he might owe money but he could pay them back and just go and do nothing if he wanted he could retire right now so it depends on like what your power is based on for example and he's just doing it to carry on fulfilling goals that he wants to do that are like nice it is interesting though to your points like i don't see putin like retiring yeah i don't see him like having a nice (laughs) like (laughs) last few years of his life calm and chill though in a bit of an angry place and like (laughs) scared place and you're like i wouldn't want to be there so that's odd with that sam thanks for this we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in our next episodes ciao